0: Welcome to Vital Talks Listen, the podcast accompaniment to Vital Strategies' speaker series on public health. Vital Strategies is a global public health organization that is seeking to reimagine public health. And today we are departing from our normal podcast format to share with you a deep dive with leading global experts on an important public health topic, civil registration and vital statistics. This recording was created from a live roundtable moderated by the inestimable Femi Oke. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am your moderator, Femi
1: Oke. If you think of a pressing public health and development issue that is underappreciated, what do you come up with? Education, maybe? Gender equity? If you say lack of ID data, then I know you're a demographer. (laughs) High five to you. We need IDs for everything in life. Banking, going to school, traveling, healthcare. But yet there are millions of people around the world who on paper do not exist or have never existed. But now we we have tools, we have strategies, we have knowledge for that not to be an issue. Back in... April, beginning of April, the New York Times Magazine ran a story which really helped us understand what it means to record births and deaths or not to record those births and deaths, that impact it has on real people's lives. We are going to piggy bank on that New York Times Magazine story and really bring this conversation to life. But we start with Dr. Jennifer Ellis. She is Director of Public Programs
0: at Bloomberg Philanthropies. Dr. Ellis, Hi, thanks, Femi. Thank you for setting the scene for this important roundtable discussion today. I'm happy to be here. Um, Femi mentioned, you know, this burden of data gaps that um, the New York Times so pointed to so eloquently. You know, we have um, currently 45 million deaths and over 50 million births going unrecorded each year, and the majority of these are in low- and middle-income countries. The reason this matters, as you all know, is... Without essential data about public health burden, governments have to rely instead on best guess methods with inadequate information to inform their policy and program decisions, their budgets, and their decisions about how to direct resources. To help address this gap, Bloomberg Philanthropies funded the Data for Health initiative beginning in 2015. Since then, Bloomberg Philanthropies has committed over $200 million to this issue and have partnered with more than 40 countries worldwide. Our partner countries who really lead this work, have the expertise in this work, and as you saw in the article, are really um, showing how much is possible to, to do in this area. Um, those countries together have more than 5 billion people. Uh, and have strengthened more than 12 million death records and 8 million birth records since the work began. Bloomberg Philanthropies has been proud to partner with Vital Strategies, as well as our six other global and regional partners on the Data for Health initiative to support closing these gaps. Today, in this great roundtable discussion, you'll hear from five experts who have long been committed to making this goal a reality. I'd like to thank each of them for their participation in this discussion. And, of course, thank you to Vital Strategies for organizing today's virtual event. Femi, I'll hand it back to you.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. Really appreciate you. All right. Let's say hello to our speakers. Arena Dinku. So nice to have you. Welcome. Hi, Arena. Arena is from the UNFPA. Arena, what does it say on your business card? Please tell me. Well, I
2: am a senior advisor with the Center of Excellence for CRVS Systems, which is now hosted by UNFPA and used to be hosted by the International Development Research Centre
1: in Ottawa, Canada. Good to have you. Janet Riki Ono. Janet, hello, welcome. From the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute, please explain your job.
3: Yes, I am a medical consultant. Uh, I work a lot with uh, civil registration and vital statistics, uh, more in mortality than in birth. I've been also working uh, former in, in vital
1: strategies in Peru. Looking forward to hear more from you in a moment. Philip Settle from Vital Strategies. Very important title, very long one. Philip.
4: Yes, hi. Thank you. Hi to everyone. My name is Philip Settle, and I direct the Civil Registration and Vital Statistics program here at Vital Strategies under the Bloomberg Philanthropies Data for Health
1: Initiative. Thank you for hosting us, Philip. Really appreciate it. And Willem mou William, hello. Welcome. What is your official job title? Tell us.
5: Thank you, Femi. I am actually the Chief for Demographic and Social Statistics at the African Center for Statistics at the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. And my main work related to what we are talking about is I actually head the Secretariat of the African uh, Accelerated Program on Improvement on Civil Registration.
1: Thank you so much. I feel so humble being in your amazing uh, expert arena here, but thank you for allowing me to participate. I would love you to also talk back and forth with each other because it's really great to have this knowledge bank right here. Philip, um, this idea of civil registration, the idea of making sure officials know when their citizens were born, when they died, what they died from, it seems so simple but it's a major fail at the moment. Can you explain why?
4: Well, Femi, I thought I'd start out just by making sure that we know what we're talking about really clearly when we talk about CRVS or civil registration and vital statistics. That means the continuous, permanent, compulsory and universal recording of vital events. And through that, people establish their legal identity. That's the link to ID that you were talking about in your opening remarks. It's a, it's a real fundamental issue of human rights and development, as well as touching upon health, of course. So the fact that it was and has been sort of everybody's responsibility meant that in many regards it was no one's responsibility. And in the meantime, we've made do with the sort of uh, models that Jen Ellis commented about in her opening remarks, so that uh, countries are left, have been left, without knowing how many are born, how many died, without being able to plan and take action using their own data about their own populations. So I think that there has been a combination of forces that have led to led to a lot of stagnation. But I also want to emphasize that, you know, in 2007, when I said that uh, civil registration was the single biggest development failure of the past many years, that was many years ago. And I think that we can really point with a great deal of pride and enthusiasm and optimism to the developments of recent years, which really have brought CRVS to the fore, including in the Sustainable Development Goals.
1: Why is civil registration, which seems like that's where you start with your citizens, why is it not a bigger priority?
4: Well, I think uh, it hasn't been such a big priority because it hasn't had champions, it hasn't had... uh, it's, it's such an invisible difference, in a sense, in terms of it being such a small administrative task conceptually, and yet logistically, it is so complicated and, uh, and, and resource-intensive uh, to really create a universal system.
1: I love the idea of civil registration champions. Arena, would you put yourself in that league? Do you consider yourself a civil registration vital statistics champion? How did you get to that position? Wow, I think that this is really a hard question. I started working
2: exactly 20 years ago in Cambodia on the first, uh, you know, mobile civil registration system so I'd say like yeah I have quite a lot of experience I've been around on three continents and um, I dare to say that uh, yeah I champion this issue and um, in particular the the issue of you know gender females in civil registration and vital statistics and their protection through the life course as a matter of fact.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that phrase that you just picked out there a life course approach can you unpack it for us? and explain what that actually
0: means.
2: Well, I'll, I'll try to actually allow me to respond a little bit also from the perspective of, of the individual, because we are often looking at the civil registration systems from the perspective of the government and of the stakeholders, and this is great because we are all supporting the government, right? I mean, even now, the international community, what would like to count? And, and I think that most important aspect here is also protect. Protect everyone from where? From birth to death, through marriage, through divorce, and idle, vital events. But I'm wondering, actually, what is civil registration for a person born in Matadi or in New York or in Bucharest or in Kiev? I mean, what is this really for them? What does this represent? And and if you ask me, I would dare say civil registration is the book of life. Now, it records critical events in the life of the individual and in the community, in the family where he lives and where he dies, events about which the community knows, you know. And um, and the life course approach applied for decades now in, in health programming takes a temporal uh, perspective, but also a society perspective as well. And I would say it's the cornerstone of good governments and critical fulfillment of, uh, of the 2030 agenda.
1: All right. So at the moment, we are, audience, we are focusing on some of the challenges with civil registration and vital statistics. I, I'm going to admit to something that I did in the last few years, William, that made me real rethink about how important civil registration is, particularly in the era of COVID. And that was, as I was covering COVID lockdowns, and the spread of the COVID pandemic three years ago, there was a line of thought that I also shared with audiences around the world about how relatively few people on the African continent were dying from COVID-19. Maybe their deaths were not being registered or maybe their deaths were being registered incorrectly. Certainly one of the countries that um, is working with civil registration and vital statistics, trying to improve it. It's one country in particular that I know on the eastern side of Africa where they weren't even allowed to register COVID-19 deaths. So I took the limited amount of statistics and then broke that down and then broadcast it to the world. But that, William, could be completely incorrect. Isn't that one of our biggest challenges, how inaccurate the data might be?
5: Thank you so much, uh, Femi you bring in a very important um, aspect, especially how our civil registration systems were tested during the COVID era. And uh, one of the things we observed in Africa was the unpreparedness of our civil registration to actually uh, provide real-time information about uh, the deaths which were occurring to COVID. So we actually observed that our systems were not even responding to what they are supposed to do, which is to record a death immediately after it occurs or within a certain duration. So it was one of the observations that one of our biggest failures in Africa was actually the inability of the, the... uh, civil registration systems to actually record uh, deaths not just only for civil war well, for COVID but for all the other epidemics which have happened, especially Ebola. It has had such a big impact in the West African region, but we up to now don't know how many deaths were impacted by Ebola in uh, in West Africa. So that has taught us a very very important lesson that our civil registration systems are very reactive so because our systems are so reactive and waiting for you know uh, informants to come and register then we missed a lot of deaths which occurred during those uh, you know pandemics so from that observation what we have now recommended is we need systems which are actually proactive. And these systems should be based on community reporting. All
1: right. That's, all right. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, Janet, I want you to take us from challenges into successes. But before we get there, Irina, I could tell you wrote something down. What did you write down? share it with us. No, I
2: was just thinking about uh, what what William, you know, so wisely said about communities. And I think that we as the, you know, as a community of practice, too often we are not listening to the voice of the communities. I mean, these are events we have, which have been celebrated long, I think, in our communities. Everybody knows when a child is born, you know, there are celebrations around marriages. People know who divorced, what, why, etc. Who died of what? But we are failing to bring this into, into the civil registration system. Go ahead.
1: Articulate your nod, Philip.
4: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm, I really appreciate the discussion so far. I think that Irina really reminded us of the fact that civil registration is a rising tide that raises all ships, each individual and society at the same time. It's very unique in that regard in that it has these, its fundamental reason is not a statistical one, actually. Its fundamental reason is to provide individuals with a name and a nation, or as it, as it said in the Declaration of uh, Children and Human Rights. As William pointed out, many civil registration systems are very passive. There's someone sitting behind a desk at an office who waits for the poor farmer to actually take seven buses and a mule to register an event, and then come back again to pick up the certificate, and it's costly in terms of time and effort. Rather, we have begun pioneering more active ways of getting people who are already in the community but who have a link to the health system, for example, to be the face of that system in the village, at the local level, to build on the social relationships that they have So it's technical know-whom, not just technical know-how, and it becomes an opportunity for an active way of obtaining the information and moving it, as William said, to the places where it can be used for statistics, for planning and evaluating services, for empowering women and girls, and for raising up the standard of opportunity for the entire population in an
1: equitable manner. Jani, I am tasking you with telling us stories, success stories, not just about data and demographics, but people and lives and countries. Where do you want to start?
3: Well, um, there are so many stories in Latin America and in the Caribbean, and they have have many improvements in CRBS so far. Um, for example, technology is helping a lot in Latin America, in Peru, where, uh, where I live. Uh, we began the birth registration online in since 2013. And if we talk about statistics, uh, from 75% that we had the information from, we improved to 98%. So this technology, what it does is, like Philip says, is we now can have um, in this village or these rural areas or remote areas where there uh, are no, not many uh, places or, or hospitals. Uh, but with this technology, we have moved them and, and made some mobile registration. With that, we can help them to, to register them because um, in the past, if they didn't go to the civil register office, for example, they couldn't get the, the identity. And for some of them, it took like two hours long travel to go to somewhere where they can get registered. Um, there are many countries in, in, in Latin America that that is working in that, in, in taking this registration to the people instead of people getting to the office, and it, it's starting now, and I think it's it's getting a lot better now.
1: I'm thinking about many of the countries in the African continent, which will, will be going right now from a paper system that may not be accurate, may not be complete, may be out of date, to a digital system. So if this is almost leapfrog technology here, where you're jumping from paper into a new tech and new knowledge. How is that being handled and managed? Where Where would you take us to give us an example of how it's going well?
5: Thank you so much, Femi. This is a very critical thing because when we are looking at Africa, we are actually looking at a region or a continent of uh, disparities. We actually have, you know, countries which are, at the formative stages of uh, civil registration, then some are at universality like, you know, uh, Egypt, South Africa, and so forth. So when we talk about this issue of uh, digitalization of technology, we actually need to think what fits which group of countries. So what we have done is to actually come up with strategies. We actually have a working group. Now, consisting of our partners like Vital Strategies, uh, CDC, WHO, and so forth, who are working in this field and saying, let's review the technological approach which we should use, which will be beneficial to these countries and won't even lead them into, you know, uh, problems of uh, technology you know, being negative.
1: We've talked about registering deaths, but what about causes of death? How can countries collect data about what people are dying of and where and when?
4: There are two main ways to assign a cause of death. One is for a death that is attended by a physician at a health facility. The physician can write what we call a medical certificate of cause of death so as not to confuse it with a death registration. So it's a certificate of cause of death. There is a very, very elaborate and structured way to correctly fill that form that applies universally. And those standards are indeed set by WHO. And yet, as William pointed out in relation to the COVID pandemic, so many deaths occur outside of health facilities and they are not attended, and there is no doctor to write a medical certificate of cause of death. In countries where we work, up to 80% of deaths occur outside of health facilities. And just to wrap up, Femi, I'll mention the tool that we use to assign causes of death where there is no doctor is called a verbal autopsy. A verbal autopsy is a structured interview with the people who were caring for the deceased person in the period before death. And it asks them to list out signs and symptoms that can be reliably reported on by a layperson. Was there a fever? Were there convulsions? Did they lose consciousness, et cetera? That pattern of responses is then used by either a physician or a computer algorithm to assign a cause of death. So to answer the question... Causes of death need to be assigned using either a verbal autopsy or a medical certificate of cause of death, according to WHO standards. And we need that verbal autopsy because so many deaths occur at home.
1: I remember when I first heard about what a virtual autopsy was, and I thought the level of humanity and kindness and empathy you need to sit with a family who do not have the paperwork for their loved one passing, but you got to get them to talk about what happened and why they died, Philip. It's extraordinary. Where did that come from?
4: Verbal autopsy was primarily a research tool for many years, Uh, and in that context, of course, there were provisions made for um, the fact that you're discussing extremely traumatic events with bereaved family members. So there are a couple things that we try to do to mitigate that and to build relationships. One, it's a great advantage having the person who goes to the household be a known individual in the community, not someone riding up on on a motorbike from the district capital. Second, we wait until the mourning period has elapsed. Often there's a culturally prescribed mourning period and we try to avoid doing interviews during that period. Third, um, we do provide training, of course, to the interviewers, and we talk about, uh, you know, the sensitivities that are clearly involved. And we do know, having done many of these verbal autopsy interviews myself, we know it takes a toll on the interviewers themselves, and they need support, um, because for the death part of the civil registration piece and unpacking the cause of death through an interview with survivors, it is indeed a very emotionally charged and laden kind of interaction. So
1: I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated as to how you're going to answer it. All right. What does it take to persuade officials to make civil registration, vital statistics, a priority? And then make sure that it's sustainable. Be candid.
5: Thank you so much. This is a very critical question, and I think you... You have rightly asked it on this uh, forum because that's what our work entails, is to actually persuade governments that civil registration is a public good. It cannot be offered by private sector or NGOs or even private individuals. It is actually the role of the state to actually provide this service. So... What we are actually now doing is to actually make the governments realize that it is their responsibilities, and all of us who are here, we are just helping them to build the systems. But there will be a day when the UN would say, we have done enough, and we are actually handing over all these uh, initiatives to the government and so forth. Uh, vital strategies, they are exiting and so forth, because we cannot be in countries forever and trying to build their systems. And as Irina says, it's about identity. It's about recognizing who are your people. It only can be done that way because they've been given an identity and that identity is authenticated by that credential. So Once governments start realising that it's their role, then they even change their budgeting, they even change the way systems are being done.
1: All right, so panel, I'm thinking about 2030, which is just seven years away. It's when the Sustainable Development Goals are supposed to be achieved. And I'm thinking if we have this conversation in seven years' time, where will we be? What would we have achieved? Janet, look into the future. What do you expect? I
3: think we are in, in the right path, actually. Um, if we can compromise more the governments and these institutions uh, in, in the, so many countries, I think in, in seven years, we can think that we have we are almost there achieving the numbers that we need. So everybody is counted. Arena,
1: seven years time.
2: Wow, well, I really don't have a globe, but um, but but I think you know we could be on track. I think we could be on track if we scale up, if we learn, if we fail fast, and we celebrate our failures as a matter of fact, not only the successes.
1: William, in 2030, will every African living on the African continent have a birth certificate or a death certificate?
5: Thank you so much, Femi. We, that's what we are working towards. And um, one of the things which we are going to do in, a, in, in almost like two months, we are going to bring all these 54 ministers to Addis Ababa and say we are left with seven years. What's the strategy? We want the answers to come from them, not from us.
1: All right, excellent. Philip, goodness me, you are working so hard at Vital Strategies With the tech, with the knowledge, sharing that knowledge, where would we have got to by 2030?
4: By 2030, a lot more is possible than I would have said 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we didn't know what worked. Now we have a much better sense of what does work. And there's still outstanding questions. But as Irina said, if we scale, if we get the coordination and collaboration among the stakeholders at the country level, we raise awareness in the community about the importance and relevance then I think at the root of it all is that civil registration is by far the best bet for ensuring no one is left behind. Everyone obtains the rights, protections and access to services to which legal identity entitles them. And governments can plan and develop using their own statistics and data.
1: If you'd like to find out more about the work of vital strategies in terms of civil registration and also vital statistics two places that you can go. You can follow at VitalStrat on Twitter. And you may remember, may recall, that we've been mentioning a New York Times magazine article. It came out on April the 2nd. It's a long read, I'm warning you now. It's also a long, fabulous listen. And I'm going to give you the full title. The Incredible Challenge of Counting Every Global Birth and Death by Janine Interlandi. It is really special it kind of ties up what we've been talking about and you will walk away having listened or having read knowing why this topic is so important thank you speakers thank you audience for being part of this conversation that takes us toward a world where everyone counts take care